thing to be here, and, I, and I'm excited because of where I was the last two weeks. If you are here online, I'm excited to hear also. Maybe you can see this on my head. I'm going to say something about that and explain to you why I'm wearing it, but I want to make sure we understand the context of this by reminding you of this series we're in the middle of. Here we are talking about what does it mean to be chosen. And this morning, what we're going to say is to be chosen means we are established. And what do I mean about established? I mean our lives are built on a firm, permanent foundation. And here's the part that's not a surprise to you. The firm, permanent foundation on which your lives are built, if you're chosen, is a solid rock, and he has a name. His name is Jesus. That's on what we build our lives. If our lives are built on anything else, this is the point this morning, if our lives are built on anything else, or anyone else, shifting sand, solid rock, shifting sand. So let me fold in the yarmulke that I'm wearing. So one person already said, um, what is that all about? <laughs> and I'm wearing it on purpose. I'm going to take it off. But, and I, I was told that it wasn't offensive. This is a yarmulke. It's a hat. And you know why pe Jewish people wear it? It reminds them to keep taking their awareness up. Up there, aiming, is God. Okay? That's what the purpose of it is. It has other features. But here, the one I'm wearing, however, is a yarmulke that you would wear if you were a Jewish person ethnically and religiously and you had decided to follow Jesus as your Mashiach, your Messiah, a messianic Jewish person. There is a messianic Jewish family that gathers. Their building is on the corner of Beta Bay Boulevard and uh, Manhattan Avenue, around the corner from where Kathy and I live. They are messianic Jews, Jewish folk who have decided that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. So this little yarmulke, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wear it anymore, but I'm going to hang it here. It has a menorah, which is an important Jewish symbol. It has the Star of David in there, that's an important Jewish symbol. But right inside that Star of David, you will see a cross. And coming out of the Star of David is a fish, the Jewish, I mean, the Christian symbol, the fish, ichthus. Built are the Jewish Messianic Jew, uh, followers of Jesus built not on shifting sand, built on the solid rock of Mashiach, and that Jewish folks don't say Jesus, that's English. They say in Hebrew, Yeshua. Yeshua is the way you say Jesus' name in the Hebrew language. Yeshua, Messiah, Mashiach, solid rock, anything else, shifting sand. And that's what we're examining today. We're examining what's it mean if we are established, if we've been chosen and God establishes us. The other choice for life for all of us is shifting sand. But I must also hit the pause button now for a commercial announcement. <laughs> next Sunday is the part of July 4th weekend. And what we are going to do next Sunday is have one worship service, not two. What are we doing next Sunday? One worship service at 10 o'clock because it's July 4th. Notice the, the red, white, and blue colors. Look carefully at the sign. Burn it into your minds. Next Sunday, July 4th weekend, one worship service here at 10 o'clock. If you show up at 9, we'll be here and the coffee will be ready. But we're meeting at 10. So we good? Everybody good with that? Commercial announcement? <coughs> Great. Back to my main point. This is not going to really work real well right here. Oh. 
Jesus, the solid rock, if you are chosen, your life, our life as a family, is established on a firm, permanent foundation. And that person has a name, Jesus. And that's the main point we want to make sure we make today. It's reminding us, it's your move. It's my move. We've been chosen, but we must also choose to surrender to Mashiach, Yeshua, to Jesus, the Messiah. So God has done the heavy lifting. God's part is the big part. Our part is an important part, but our part is a small part. It's responding. God take, makes the first move and does the big part. Kathy's already referenced it, pointing to that cross and showing you Golgotha, Skull Hill, the hill on which Jesus was crucified. You and I are being called to respond. So we are established when we respond and surrender to the king of the universe, enthroned as he is. That's, that's the point. I, I want you to watch carefully here, though. In this series, we're in week seven. What's been going on, and I want to make explicit what maybe has been getting suggested, is this. What's been going on is that we're learning more and more that this is about the chooser, not the choosee. This is about the chooser, who is God, who is Jesus. Way more than it's about us. It's about God's character. It's about God's never-ending love. You and I are loved by God. We've been chosen. This is about God's endless love. You and I are rescued. We're saved because God has loved us and rescued us. You and I have been invited into God's family and into God's family business. It's both. The business is to share God's love with other people in one simple way, like inviting somebody to come to at the movies. We are invited to be a part of God's family and a part of God's family business. Your name and my name, they're on the family business sign. But all of that is because of the chooser who's chosen you and me to be a part of this unbelievable thing. We're people who've been asked to live into a loving relationship, a trusting relationship with the almighty God of the universe. We believe that we can say that with real relationship, real transformation, because that's our way of kind of summarizing the meaning of it. You're choosing, and I am, to have a real relationship with the Messiah and therefore with each other. And the next thing you know, I'm surrendering so that I can, my life can be different. And I can be on the team or in the family business. I can go, I have a place to play because every one of us has a part to play in the life of loving other people and helping God love more people. All of that is what we're all about. And we're about to see how Matthew, the tax collector, bumps into Mashiach, Yeshua, and how the sand of his life is being challenged by the presence of the loving God of the universe. Just a couple of things about Matthew before we see this clip. Matthew has begun to experience Jesus, and things are starting to come unraveled in his life because of it. He, he's, he's, he thought he had it together, but all of a sudden, no. And Matthew senses something changing. Two or three details about him. His father, as it's portrayed in the show, has disowned him. I have no sons, says Matthew's father. Why? Because Matthew is a Jewish person 
but he's collecting the hated Roman tax from his own people, and he's in cahoots with the Romans who are occupying the known world, including Israel. He's loathed, Matthew is. He meets Jesus, sees Jesus do amazing things, miraculous things, hears Jesus, begins to experience Jesus' love, and his life begins to change. Here's a clip illustrating much of that. Hello, Ima, or, or uh, Elisheva, I mean. <laughs> Hello. Matthew. I don't receive visitors myself. Is this a custom? If your father were here, I couldn't do this. Where is Alpheus? I think a dog followed you. He's with me. He'll stay out here if you let me in. Ralphius be home soon. He's away. On a work trip. Where will work take him? Does he no longer make leather goods? His shop was robbed. Many of the shops have been. Crime is rampant, makes it very difficult to reopen. He loved his shop. But we still have a roof over our heads, which is more than some people can say. You can ask me for money if you ever need it. How can you say that? It's quite common. I've seen many parents entirely dependent on- Your father would sooner die than take your blood money. I know you are ashamed of me. But your decision is irrational. Rome will continue to collect taxes no matter what. I'm skilled with numbers. Did you come here to justify yourself? No! no. Everything's like sand. And they flood. The things I thought I knew to be true. Are you in trouble? Do you think that impossible things can happen? That overturn the laws of nature? That cannot be explained? That is what people asked when you were a boy. Even the rabbis were astonished at your talent for reading, math, the way you could think faster than any other child. They thought you would be someone great. Great at what? I'm rich. I have an armed escort. I'm trusted by the Praetor of we Galilee. We never dreamed you would use the talent God gave you to bleed your people dry. But have you ever seen anything miraculous? Not you. My whole world. Everything I thought I knew. What if it's wrong? I think you should go. Never even asked about your sister. She looks well. I came to celebrate Shabbat a few weeks ago. Then I left. 
Goodbye, Lima. So Matthew's mother weeping because her son, he doesn't refer to his father by his name. He refers to him as Alphaeus, which is the man's name. He doesn't say dad. His dad has no sons. But he called, he went to see his mother. And there they visit. He had built his life, as he, and he tried to rationalize it with his mom. We have to pay the taxes anyway. He'd built his life on money and on power and on position, all of which he enjoyed with respect to the Romans. And yet it was starting to come unraveled, having met Jesus. Just a few of the things that he said that I wrote down for you because it was hard to hear. He said this. He said, the things I thought I knew to be true, but it's starting to shake a little bit. He said, do you think impossible things can happen defying the laws of nature? He, and he had witnessed Jesus' miraculous power. He said, my whole world, everything I thought I knew, what if it's wrong? So Matthew has built his life on this job and the benefits he received. And then the thing he said first, but I'm giving it to you last. He said to his mom as he was panicking, everything's like sand in a flood. And there he is. He is desperate. He's undone. There is chaos. There is uncertainty. There's complexity. There's unpredictability in his life, which he had built on his revenue stream and on the power and position he enjoyed in, with relationship with the Romans. He's going to meet Jesus again, and all of that's going to change. Second clip. You see the Parthian foot races last night? Darius ran like a gazelle. Jews don't go to foot races. Your old friend Simon himself used to run the wagering tables. We're not friends. Next. OK, fine. So you did not go to the races. You stay home? I went to see my mother. Ugh, that would put me out, too. She asked when you're going to give her grandchildren? She didn't ask. I thought your parents don't speak to you. I had questions I couldn't ask anyone else. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. 
follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Do you know what the name of the first gospel is? Matthew. A powerful, artistic illustration. He moved off of shifting sand, unpredictability, uncertainty, and the chaos of a self-directed life. The Roman guy tried to talk him into continuing to build his life on the foundation of money and power and position. And he said no. Peter loathes him. They're going to work it out. He loathes him. And but he's different, says Peter to Jesus. And Jesus said, what? Get used to different. It's a good thing because I wouldn't have made it in. You wouldn't have either. So here we are watching the shifting sand of a traitor become the rock solid bed of a transformed life. And there he goes. Notice the little artistic, a beautiful little thing. I still have my tablet with me. Did you catch Matthew saying that? And I assume it's his notes about who owed what taxes. And Jesus says, no, keep it. It may come into use. This is the writer's way of portraying him as the possibility of writing down something else. Yeah. So he starts taking a different kind of note, does Matthew. Jesus talks about the sand. Uh, before I say that, guess where we got to go? We got to go to Capernaum. 
Guess what Capernaum is? It's the city where Jesus called Matthew to leave the booth and start following him. It's on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, a fishing village. We got to see it. We're this close from the foundations that are there protected, this far away. Capernaum was Jesus' adopted hometown because Nazareth, the city he grew up in, is kind of a backwater place off the beaten path. The Sea of Galilee and Capernaum are on the middle of all the trade routes. We got to stand and look at the places. Well, we don't know which building it was, but we were there, well-preserved in a large area of well-preserved stuff. That's where we got to go. And Matthew began to follow Jesus in Jesus' adopted hometown, in Matthew's hometown, Capernaum. Go home, get your Google out, look up Sea of Galilee, and go to the northwest corner, and you'll find C-A-P-E-R-N-A-U-M, Capernaum. That's where it started for that man. Meanwhile, Jesus talked about sand and rock. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, the last three or four verses of what you know as the Sermon of the Mount. So let me read them through for you. They're up here. If you want to open up your Bible on your device or if you have a physical Bible, open it up. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Friends, this is going to blow your mind. You with me? You ready to have your mind blown? Look at this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Just leave that up there. Guess what else we got to do? Just above Capernaum, the mountain on which Jesus gave this sermon, that's where we got to go. So if you're up on that mountain, now they don't know the exact spot, but we, they know that this is the hill. You think mountain, don't think mountain. Don't think Rockies, don't think North Carolina. It's a hill. If you went, you go, that ain't no mountain. It's a hill. And you'd say, well, the Sea of Galilee ain't no sea. It's a lake. And it's eight miles across and 13 miles long. So you'd call Lake, lake Okeechobee is 15 times bigger than the Sea of Galilee. But we don't care, do we? Because we got to go up to the what they call the Mount of the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount starts with what's called the Beatitudes. And we got to go up there and just be. And we learned some things and sat on some rocks. And we are somewhere where Jesus was giving this three chapters of teaching, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And guess what you can see if you're up on that hill? You can see the place that Jesus probably had in mind when he made the analogy of building your house on a rock and sand. In fact, I was, we were in the bus leaving. We're driving through a kind of a valley. And I asked Tony, the guide, I said, Tony, because I knew I was doing this today. Tony, when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount with the metaphor, the analogy, or the parable of building your house on rock or sand, what was he looking at? What struck him? I asked him that question. Wasn't I clever? You proud of me? You glad I did that? Oh, that whole thing just lit me. I, I can't stop and start talking about how I got just lit up. 
by this trip. I thought I knew stuff about the Bible. <laughs> oh, I am a different person. But oh, I digressed. Back to me driving in the bus with Tony, and we're driving through one of them, and to our right was something you might see and think of as being kind of familiar if you go to the high plains, getting close to the Rockies. There's all that dry, brown, almost desert-looking kind of stuff, and you got all these empty creek beds. That's what Jesus was talking about. He said, Fitz, see those rocks on the side of it? That's what you'd build your house on. He said, no one would build their house down in the bottom. Because of why? Because of flash floods from heavy rain. Now, when we think storm, we think hurricane. Well, you don't get hurricanes on the Sea of Galilee, but man, do you get flash floods because the rain comes pouring. It's got, the water's got nowhere to go. And it, it, here's the point of this, this message from Jesus. Everybody who heard him would know that it's absolutely insane to build your house down in the bottom of one of those ravines. No one would do it. No one ever did it. Why? Because everyone knows that they have flash floods and everyone knows the storm is coming. And if you put anything you care about at the bottom of that dry creek bread, when the flash flood comes, it's gone. Everyone knew that if you wanted to build your house near that ravine, you put it on rock. The power of Jesus' message is this. It's so obvious. It's dramatically obvious. It's overkill to make this statement about building your house on sand versus rock. And Matthew is a living example of it because he walks away from the foundation that he had built from himself, which simply was coming apart on him. <sighs> you, again, you're being invited. I'm being invited to find our way into real relationships that result in real transformation, and we build our lives on relationship with the solid rock. Nothing else will withstand what's coming. A lot of years ago, I was taught a song. It's called The Solid Rock, and I'll sing the chorus, I mean the refrain. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I heard a few voices. Let's do it again. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. This came to me when I was preparing. I want to tell you about another person who built her life on the rock. We met her. One of the powerful things that happened to us. Oh, by the way, we're going back in two years. Start saving your shekels. <laughs> That's the currency of the Hebrew people. It's a shekel. It was then and in the time of Jesus, and it still is today. Save them. You want to go. I'm going back. I'm already jazzed. This person we met in Nazareth. You may have heard of that town. It's the town I've already mentioned off the beaten path, but in the north of Israel, and the Sea of Galilee is even a little further north. It's the town where Jesus grew up, and he was in business with his dad. And they were sort of GCs. There's not a lot of wood, so really they were carpenters and stonemasons, and they built stuff. Nazareth has young life in it, young life in it. The entire Middle East, young life is in Syria, it's in Lebanon, it's in Iraq, it's in Jordan, it's in Israel. 
all over the place. It began at this high school, a private Baptist high school in the city of Nazareth. And we got to meet the woman who's the director of Young Life there, full-time. The title is called Area Director. She's the director of Young Life in Nazareth. And we got to meet her. Her name is Renee. Renee is, you got to listen to me carefully, she is an Arab, not Jewish by, by ethnicity, but she is an Israeli citizen. She is born and raised in the country of Israel, and she was born and raised in a family that is a Christian family. So just, just so you understand this, Americans, we're all confused. There were Arabs day one of the Christian movement. Go read Acts chapter 2, verse 11, Arabs. So we have this funny thing with all the terrorism. We've just sort of blanketed all, 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 every Arab is a hating terrorist. No, that's not reality. There are certainly terrorists, clearly. But she's, a, she's from an Arab family who was a Christian family, probably Greek Orthodox, maybe Roman Catholic, probably Roman Catholic. And so she grew up in that environment. But she would have said, not this language, she would have said, I was sort of a nominal Christian meaning she didn't have a real relationship that was real transformation. But she had grown up in a kind of, quote, Christian family. You with me? It's sort of welcome to the United States, right? We have a lot of folks who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but their lives really haven't been transformed yet. And I'm not judging, I'm describing. And she, here's what happened to her. So a missionary sort of ended up in their town and was talking about a real relationship with real transformation. And seeds were beginning to get planted. And then young life shows up. And between this missionary family and their ministry in the Young Life ministry, Renee became a fully committed, transforming follower of Jesus. And guess what else? Renee is a kid magnet. The teenagers just all over the place. Her house, her life, packed with them. She has her own teenagers as a mom, and she has teenagers. She's just doing what people who, what Emily's going to do. What, what young life people do, what people in churches that love teenagers do. She was a kid magnet. She is a kid magnet. So here's what we learned about her, though. Arab ethnicity, Jesus follower, and the young life people started saying, Renee, you should be working with us. You should be working with young life. And she fought it. She prayed against it. No, anything. And the next thing you know, guess what happens? Renee is working for Young Life. So she's an employee of Young Life and leading the ministry in the area where she lives, which is a little village adjacent to Nazareth. And they said to Renee, one of the things we do is we get kids together and we call it club. It's a meeting. Some of you did it in your own homes. You, had, you, know, you went to Young Life in somebody's house or wherever you went to it. And someone stands up at the end of the meeting and gives a talk, right? I did it. A million times, Kathy's done it a million times, McLean's done it a million times, give talks. Well, Renee said, but I was afraid to give the talk. The room would have had Jewish kids who were willing to take a look at Jesus and Arab ethnic kids looking at Jesus, probably many of them also having Muslim backgrounds, not Roman Catholic. So you got this mix of people. It's kind of wild and crazy. And she said she was scared. I thought, well, I was scared too when I was 22, and they told me I had to go give the club talk. Now, I was scared. You know why I was scared? I thought I would be terrible and kids would never come back. <laughs> That's what made me nervous. You know, giving public talks is not something most people want to do. You know why she was scared? Her life. She was fearful for her life. Why? Because a cousin down further south near the Gaza Strip was talking about Jesus and was killed by Hamas. This woman either builds her life on something that's dependable like the rock of Jesus 
or all this uncertainty and chaos and perplexity in the world that is all of that collision of all these cultures and religions, which is where she lives. So she says, no, I'm going to go with Jesus. She said it was kind of funny. She prayed in her first young life talk that all the Muslim kids would leave before she gave it. <laughs> of course, that's not what happened. What happened is this. One of the Muslim kids started responding, went home to her father, who was a sheikh. That's kind of a chief, like a village head, and said, Dad, give me a Bible. And then Brene said, did you do this already? Or are you waiting? Don't tap the brakes. No kid said, no, I already did it. Guess what the sheikh did? Got the kid a Bible. The sheikh said, I want you, kid, to know the truth about who Jesus is, not the version that Islam teaches. The sheikh invited Renee and her family to celebrate Ramadan, a meal or something with them. The sheikh invited Renee to pray for him and his family. Solid rock is Renee. Solid rock is Matthew. Built on the rock, the certainty of Jesus. Have another verse for you. You ready? Here it comes. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. Solid rock. It's your move. It's my move. We've been chosen. Now it's for us to decide. I'm going I'm to put the other things that I think my life is based on, I'm going to put them to the side. I'm going to base my life on a real relationship with the solid rock. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, it's a decision you need to make again or for the first time right now. And just take the rest of your life, rock, sand, rock, sand, rock, sand. Let's build it on the rock. I'm going to pray for us. Gracious God, I thank you for this new friend, Renee, and for her trust in you and what looks to me like phenomenal bravery. But you don't leave her feeling that way every day. She doesn't have to wake up scared every day. She's waking up loving you and her family and teenagers. So we pray for this woman and her, her work in the city of Nazareth that she would be helping people build their lives, having been chosen already, that they would choose to cooperate with you and have their lives be built on the solid rock who is Jesus. That's the challenge before us this morning. Can we, no matter where we are in our life of faith, can we say, wait a minute, all of this uncertainty, and it will continue, the storms are coming, but what am I going to build my life on? On the, on the things that I think are going to get me through it or on you. Gracious God, you lived, you died, you lived again, you reign over the universe. You are the solid rock. Thank you that you invite us to build our lives on you. In Jesus' name, amen. And this band is going to play a song now called Build My Life by Pat Barrett. You want this back? Whoa. Oh. There we go. Oh. <laughs> I want to take that from you. Here we go. Go ahead and stand up for this.